Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. If you just skim the headlines around cannabis in California, you could be forgiven for being well and truly confused. We have the largest legal weed market in the world, and huge illegal grows are popping up all over the state, wreaking havoc on rural communities. Wasn't Prop 64, which legalized marijuana in California, supposed to help solve these problems? Why then is illicit marijuana booming? A new L.A. Times investigation by Paige St. John dives deep, deep into the problems that face California's weed market. Legalization, as it turned out, was not a silver bullet. But now what? Stay tuned for a major update on the good, bad, and ugly of cannabis in California. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. California has the largest legal cannabis market in the world. And according to a new investigation from the Los Angeles Times, that's actually led to a boom in illegal grows, bringing a kind of money printing anarchy to some rural parts of Northern California. To figure out what happened and why, we're joined by Pulitzer Prize winning investigative reporter Paige St. John, who's the author of a huge new piece, The Reality of Legal Weed in California. Huge illegal grows, violence, worker exploitation, and deaths. Thank you for joining us, Paige. Welcome to the show. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I think we need a little refresher just on how cannabis was grown and sold in the state before California legalized marijuana. Can you kind of give us that potted history? It's it's a, a, a long and very colorful history. Uh, cannabis is part of California's culture for decades, <clears throat> especially in Northern California. Um, and the concept, uh, the, the, the image that comes to mind uh, when the state took its first step toward legalization in creating a, a medical marijuana market, and, and was the first in the nation to do so, uh, were these growers who were from the back to the land movement who grew their crops outdoor. They played hide and seek with the, the feds uh, every summer with the, the helicopter raids from camp. Um, but uh, it was a very back to the earth, very... Uh, tied to the earth kind of movement. California cannabis went corporate uh, with Prop 64, uh, which passed uh, by voters in 2016, with the promise of creating a recreational legal market. Mm -hmm. Uh, That actually happened in 2018, where the first licenses were sold. But at the same time, the state decriminalized cannabis. And, And this is an important part for what follows and what we'll be talking about today, because uh, the state not only decriminalized possession of cannabis, which had been mm-hmm. a blight on, on minority communities, uh, but but made cultivation uh, a $500 misdemeanor um, without a license, whether it's 10 plants or 10,000 plants. And that's the loophole that's opened the door. 
Mm. So what other pieces of Proposition 64, which, as you said, legalized marijuana in 2016, what are the other components of how that legalization was done that have had you know, intended and unintended consequences? Well, there are a lot of promises that were made in Prop 64. We had a, a, a this is an ongoing rolling project for the LA Times. And our first pieces uh, were produced earlier this year that looked at the social equity promise mm. uh, that people's convictions for marijuana crimes would would be removed and give them a clean slate. These felonies, you know, had prevented people from pursuing many professional careers or getting licensed and certified in, in, in many occupations. And we found that the courts had no impetus to take that up quickly. The, these cases were just uh, laying there unresolved and by tens and tens of thousands. Uh, the other promise uh, made was that, uh, that cannabis would be destigmatized that you know you could walk into a light a dispensary that was licensed and get a product that had been inspected and certified and was healthy there was a promise made to small growers that they would be protected from uh, the major corporations that were you know looking for a seat at the table and wanted to play the california cannabis game uh those caps were never put into place so the small growers are finding which themselves. which caps are those uh these were caps to limit cultivation uh, by acreage. Mm. And, and what happened were that the corporate growers began stacking licenses on a single piece of property. So you'd have 20, 30, 100 licenses on one piece of property. Um, that stacking mm. of licenses then became the back door that allowed these major corporate sized operations to get established in places that cannabis didn't have a, a legacy foothold like Santa Barbara. Uh, mm. The flower industry became the cannabis industry. Hmm. So let's say that I don't have a stake in small growers versus big growers or, or any of the things inside the industry, that what I care about is that there's a legal market and that um, people can, you know, have access to marijuana, but it also, you know, reduces some of the downsides of, you know, kind of any illegal drug market. Can you talk to me about just what the legal market looks like? It is big, so something's working there, right? And what what parts of it are working? It, well, it is big. Uh, 5.3 billion dollars in taxed sales last year. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot of cannabis moving across the counter illegally in California. But what you should care as a consumer is that that even that market is now threatened by the illegal market. Hmm. Uh, overproduction is so huge, maybe eight times or more uh, larger than the legal market in California, that prices have collapsed. Um, and while that might be a temporary bargain for the consumer, uh, wholesalers are getting where they used to get $3,000 a pound for processed bud are now getting $300 dollars if they can sell that crop at all. So many of these small licensed growers are going out of business. Hmm. That's allowing um, monopolies to become established in California cannabis. And uh, and people are returning to the black market, to hmm. the illicit market in order to sell enough to pay their mortgage or even corporate cannabis in order to sell their cannabis in New York or Milwaukee or Chicago or, or, you know, elsewhere in the country where they can get a better price. You know, my understanding of this was that 
the price of cannabis was supposed to come down, right? Because and and actually profits in the industry were supposed to come down. Like that was actually part and parcel of what it meant to to legalize, right? Oh, and that absolutely. clearly yeah, that yeah. did happen. But I think what mm-hmm. what you're pointing to is that when it collapsed in the legal market, for the growers just kind of turned elsewhere. And it collapsed so quickly. Yes, the economists had said it will bring cannabis prices down. You won't, you'll have more product available. It'll, it'll be safer and cheaper. Um, it'll kind of be like the Anheuser-Busch of beer. You can get a beer pretty, pretty cheap and just about anywhere. But, um, but not overnight, not in a matter of months, not, not to the point that you have this mass extinction event that's threatening the, the economy in many of these um, legacy areas, the Emerald Triangle, Mendocino, Humboldt, and Trinity counties up, up in Northern California, they had turned to cannabis as a way to help fill in the economic holes left by the timber industry. Mm-hmm. And even though it was, uh, they, they like to call it gray market, but most of it was flat out illegal, that that kept people employed that allowed mm-hmm. people to have a job and put their kids through school and uh, get back to their communities those communities and towns are starting to look like ghost towns mm-hmm. we're talking about why illegal cannabis cultivation is booming in california despite the fact we have this huge legal market with paige st john investigative reporter with the los angeles times and we'd like to hear from you have you encountered in illegal grow in our state here in Northern California. And what are your concerns about the weed market in California or how legalization has played out? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's KQED Forum. And the email is forum at uh, kqed.org. So... Who was anticipating that the illegal grows would swell in response to a legal market? Was was that something that a lot of people foresaw? Not a lot of people. Uh, an important sector foresaw this, that being the law enforcement community. And I think because of the push to get away from the war on drugs, the law enforcement community wasn't listened to or heeded, uh, I believe, they probably were written off as, oh, that's the cops. They hate cannabis any, anyway. So, of course, they're predicting uh, organized crime will will run rampant in the state. Um, I don't see that anybody else was really raising that that red flag, except perhaps the um, uh, some of the legacy growers. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And the reason why things are beginning to run rampant is is what like what is it is it just that the risk has come down so much for growing marijuana that if you're you know an organized um illegal grower you can just use california as kind of a a launching pad for selling across the country and the world even yes exactly that it it, the the cover of legality um Gave an, and, and the reduced penalties and the, the reduction of risk is probably the, the key thing here. 
gave illegal growers the opportunity to come out of the federal forests where they had played hide and seek with mm-hmm. law enforcement for, for decades and uh, start leasing land right in the valleys, in communities, uh, Round Valley in Mendocino County and the town of Covalo, which is inundated with illegal grows. They're leasing people's lands, putting greenhouses on on property right in town, right next to the Napa auto parts store and, mm. and right behind the Catholic chapel or Siskiyou County where they've, they've bought land flat out. You can, you can see the tr- land transactions, see the owners, but who you don't see are where the money is coming from and where it's going. These are mm. often small owners and, and, and stuff. So they're hiding in plain sight and yes, they're moving their cannabis out of California uh, at a rapid rate. Mm. An estimated 80% is, is sent elsewhere. You know, what's the role of hoop house cultivation, you know, like putting these, you know, very cheap greenhouses rather than growing outdoors, right? I mean, you're able to harvest much more often, right? Right. You can get, and, and this is the transition that, that we use satellite imagery to document what happened statewide in California is this dramatic shift in intensity of cultivation from the outdoor grows where you had a single harvest to these hoop houses, which are essentially PVC piping with plastic sheeting stretched across, very cheap construction and and um, and very temporary construction. Mm. And those hoop houses can grow three to five crops a year. If you bring in portable generators, uh, you can really push the limit. Uh, it, it lets you cultivate not only a lot more cannabis, but beat, to beat the market, to come in ahead of the harvest of other crops like the sun-grown crops, and uh-huh. try to catch prices. We're talking about why illegal cannabis cultivation is booming in California despite our large legal market. Joined by Paige St. John, investigative reporter with the Los Angeles Times, who's working on a series of articles, the most recent of which is The Reality of Legal Weed in California, Huge Illegal Grows, Violence, Worker Exploitation, and Deaths. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about why legal cannabis cultivation has boomed in California. We're joined by Paige St. John, investigative reporter with the Los Angeles Times. You know, Paige, before we go to the phones, I, I want to get a sense of the scale of the problem and how you all research this. Obviously, with legal grows, there's databases and things like that. But with, with illegal grows, it's not like you can just go find a list of them. So what did you do to try and get your arms around you know, how many 
illegal grows there are in particular parts of, uh, of the state? It's, it's actually pretty easy. You go to Google Earth and <laughs> just about <laughs> everywhere you look, uh, you, you, you see the, the hoop houses and, and the outdoor gardens. You don't see the indoor growth. So we just touch on, on a fraction of the illicit market. But I was able to, in my evenings, you know, look at about 3,000 square miles in six counties and get a handle on how much of that was legal, how much was illegal. I found areas like a Trinity County, Trinity Pine, uh, like nine out of 10 greenhouses are illegal in, mm. in that community. And you can get a license. It's not like these people can't, you know, right. who live there can't get licensed. It's that they're not. And, mm. and the question is, why aren't they? Why, why does it remain profitable? And, and one is that if, uh, if you're licensed, you can only sell in California. And if you don't have a license, the world is your market. So, mm-hmm. so part of that is, is the equation. Um, I really believe that the, these are business decisions that are, that are um, determining what we're seeing. And uh, so, so how big is it? Uh, California could tell us. They built a tool a number of years ago called Canavision. It's a lovely name for a machine learning program that uses mm-hmm. satellite imagery. And in almost near time, can identify not every hoop house, not every grow, but but can come up with some very educated estimates of, of how much illicit weed there is in California. The creators of that program say it's just simply never been put to that use, and the state hmm. killed any public announcement of its existence. Hmm. I mean, just having covered technology for a long time, I can imagine some problems with such a system, but I can, but that's it. That's fascinating. Yes. Yeah. Um, let's bring in some calls. Let's bring in a really interesting call. Uh, Walter in San Francisco. Welcome, Walter. Hi, how are you? Hey, doing well. Doing well. Thanks for calling. Thank you for taking my call. I thought I would uh, comment. I really appreciate the uh, attention uh, brought to these issues. And I just wanted to dispel, I think, one um, perception is that the illicit cannabis is booming because I can tell you it's not the price is not there for anybody to really behave in that way and succeed. I mean, maybe a few small people, but I've heard statistics that 92% of both legal and illegal farms in California will be done or close to done by the end of the year. And part of that is what she, your guest referenced earlier when you've got those giant, um, I mean, these are 100,000 square feet uh, former flower nurseries that are putting out the lowest quality, like she said, it's, it's, it's Coors beer as opposed to a really good brewed beer by somebody. And it's, they'll put it out at $300 a pound at an operational loss in order to grab market share. Because long term, if they grab the highest market share and put everybody else out of business, then they can start increasing prices with their terrible product and then recoup their investment costs. So you would be surprised in that you you assume because you see various people with backyard grows and whatnot that illegal cannabis is booming, but it's not. And part of the reason um, is a state like Oklahoma, and not that I'm advocating for illegal interstate transportation of cannabis, but that's what <laughs> used to happen. California right. cannabis used to go all over the rest of the nation. 
and it doesn't anymore. You've got states in the middle that have stopped that progression of the illegal cannabis. So I think we've got like a, a 12, 12 billion power. You know, we've got multiple millions of pounds in excess in California over our state's demand. So that itself, that surplus drove the price down. But regardless of that, it's now calculated um, business decisions by the largest players the in big corporate players. cannabis that, that have made it inequitable for everybody and are driving the quality of the product or your medicine, you know, cannabinol, medicinal extracts to basically the quality of Coors beer. And that's where we're going. Hey, Walter, thanks for uh, that call. Paige, I wanted to throw a, a couple things at you bouncing off that. I mean, one is uh, Walter was just kind of referencing Oklahoma and this patchwork of regulations that exist because the federal laws are not what California's laws are. Um, that's that's one piece. Uh, and the other is whether the problems that we're having will end up shaking out in some ways as more people are driven from the market if prices are lower. And like, is there is there a way that given time, things will equilibrate to something better than the situation we have now? Yeah, that the market, that you'll see a market correction. Uh, Walter raises a really good point. Uh, I hear from investigators that Oklahoma weed is now coming into California. That's how, that's how big Oklahoma has become because it's Mm -hmm. pretty easy to get a license there. And then what you do with it uh, is, is uh, off the radar, but it, um, you know, that that's a question I've been asking for years. I've been looking at this of like, where is the bottom? And and uh, and if we're not there yet, why are, why are they continuing to build these mega grows, illegal mega grows in NorCal and in Southern Oregon? Um, where is all that product going? I'm, I'm hearing shipping containers are taking it, you know, out of the ports in some cases. Hmm. Uh, other cases, uh, I'm hearing that there's a lot of stockpiling going on, that there's market speculation in case a, a federal bill gets passed and we have a national market. Uh, but uh, however long it takes to for this market correction, we're not near there yet. And um, I, there are empty hoop houses uh, in some of the communities uh, that were overrun with illegal hoop houses, but new ones still coming in. So I have not seen a net decrease this season, mm-hmm. uh, despite the market crash. That's so interesting. Uh, let's bring in uh, Chris in San Francisco. Welcome, Chris. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, thanks for calling. So uh, I just wanted to ask, I, I have some land down in Southern California, and I've noticed this trend, like out in the desert. Uh, some of the, I have a couple properties, and one of them, there's hoop houses all around, or I should say the remnants of hoop houses all around where my property is. And my question is, I know the, the law enforcement and the communities can't really do anything about it because for an area out there, this is out by close to Joshua Tree, there's only like a few sheriffs. There's not really much of a law enforcement presence. What can the local communities do? Because I know that all the neighbors and all the landowners out there are really fed up with it because the type, the, the people that come in and operate these uh, things are, are not from the area. And the local landowners really seem to have an issue with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed they changed some of the laws, like you can't get a water meter or you can't, uh, you know, add electricity to your property unless you have uh, fully permitted plans. But I'm just curious, what can communities do 
uh, besides law enforcement to try and discourage this in their areas because there's a lot of land out there and there's a lot of small towns out in the desert. Yeah. Man, Chris, you oh, this man. article from Page St. John, <laughs> the reality of legal weed in California, is for you. It's It really focuses on that exact issue. Uh, go ahead, Paige. See, he's talking about San Bernardino County, which is just amazing what's happened in the Mojave Desert and Lucerne Valley and, 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 and Riverside County next to it. The sheriff in San Bernardino County, I think in the last year, has raised more than 8,000 greenhouses, and he's not stopped. Sometimes they tell me they're back in business. They've put new greenhouses in within a month. They had a case where the people went underground. They they buried the Konex shipping containers and started growing beneath the sand. Mm. So, um, it, you know, they're, they're hitting it, but they feel like it's playing a game of whack-a-mole. They're also trying to fine and raise assessments against the people who own the land. That's not terribly working, but it is another tool that they have in the box. They don't have the manpower uh, to do the kind of investigation about where the cannabis money is coming from and where the cannabis money is going. And that's what I heard statewide, that until they can figure out who's profiting from all of this, that these are not mom and pop owner growers. Uh, these are the visible portion of a large, um, multiple large organized criminal networks. And until those pocketbooks can get hurt, um, there may not be a, a whole lot that a community can do. Yeah. We're talking about why illegal cannabis cultivation has boomed in California despite legalization in 2016. We're joined by Paige St. John, investigative reporter with the Los Angeles Times. We'd love to hear from you. Have you, you know, been somewhere out in Northern California and encountered uh, you know, illegal grows or a whole bunch of illegal grows somewhere? Uh, what are your concerns with how legalization has played out since 2016? You can give us a call. Number's 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's KQED Forum, and the emails forum at kqed.org. You know, you're descriptions of some of these grow heavy rural regions page i mean they kind of remind me of like n stories from northern mexico where you have local law enforcement basically outgunned and kind of having having given up i mean it feels too anarchic for uh you know northern california it is that in some places when you have a an area an entire valley that the sheriff says they won't, they won't send them a man in alone. They don't feel safe. That tells you kind of how lawless it is. Um, and, in, and in fact, in Siskiyou County, which I'm, I'm talking about, there is this internal policing network that, that local police don't, you know, really have any, they don't have an idea of who's running the show, who, who the community leaders are, who's calling the shots, but they'll get a call or a tip that, hey, there's some guy who's been left tied to a fence post for you to pick up, you know, because he was caught uh, trespassing, et cetera. So there's there's anarchy and there's vigilantism and um, and, and, and a lot of violence. Mm. And you're actually uh, a Los Angeles Times photographer actually experienced this right mm -hmm. up in I think it was in near Shasta. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mount Shasta Vista. It's a. Uh, it's a subdivision in Juniper Flat in, in Siskiyou County, in the, in the shadow of Mount Shasta. Mm -hmm. We were, uh, uh, Brian was photographing water trucks filling up at a hay farmer's well. 
uh, and taking that water to the cannabis grows. The county has tried to ban water delivery to the cannabis grows. Uh, water is the one tool that a lot of people think may be the weapon that they can use, that, that if you shut off the water, you can't grow the plants. But uh, a federal judge has, has uh, taken Siskiyou County to task for, for churning off the water because it might also affect people who actually live out there. Mm. Anyway, very politically sensitive um, issue. And so just merely photographing the water trucks got our photographer in trouble. Uh, he was surrounded um, by four people and um, and threatened uh, with a bullet in his head while another guy took a tire iron and uh, began wailing in his car, breaking out windows and smashing doors. I mean, I have to say you've gone back to these places to this keep is, reporting. I mean, that feels that feels terrifying yeah, to that, me. This, this is the scene on a public highway, by the way. This is like not a leaf of cannabis anywhere in sight. And the deep, deep irony is that the cannabis cultivation is a $500 misdemeanor. This is a life and death matter over a misdemeanor. So it, it's it has more to do with uh, the tensions, um, the amount of money to be made, uh, you know what's at stake here for the growers, and mm. um, and then in Siskiyou County, to be honest, there are racial now tensions uh, between the Hmong community and the Asian growers who've moved in, and a largely white county that is that has really had difficulty dealing not just with you know the the rush of illegal cannabis, but uh, cultural issues too. Hmm. And that's just because basically there was a. Hmong entrepreneur who began to sort of sublease to yeah. a bunch of other uh, yeah. Hmong people who who moved in to a community that was you know uh, largely homogenous yeah. and white before that. Wow. Cheap uh, cheap land, micro parcels. You could get a quarter acre for you know a thousand or a couple thousand bucks, and on that grow a crop worth five hundred thousand dollars. So these early Hmong owner growers you know, could in a season get enough cash that would cover maybe a family funeral or, you know, it made a material mm. difference in their lives. Mm. But it was illegal and there were thousands of them. Mm. And one of the people, at least, who was involved in this has now been indicted mostly on tax evasion charges, as I, as I understand it. Yes. Um, yeah. One of one of the leaders is, is facing uh, felony charges. Yeah. Let's bring in uh, Andrea in Sebastopol. Hey, welcome, Andrea. Hi, thank you for taking my call. What's your story? Um, I just wanted to uh, ask if any of the guests have any kind of hard data on um, cost studies on what it actually costs to produce mm. legally, um, not with the uh, not paying for permits in that because I'm talking about just growing it, just growing a pound of cannabis, what would that cost? The uh, the prices previously were always inflated because of, and still are, because there are still states that where it's full out illegal. And um, uh, it, the prices were a product of a black market. And obviously we're not there yet. We haven't had federal legalization, but once we do hit federal legalization, the prices are going to revert to what it costs to produce a normal agricultural crop tomatoes, oregano, that kind of thing. So does anybody know what it actually costs and how much uh, a person would sell it for to make a profit as per in the 
realm of other yeah. agriculture as compared to other agricultural crops like tomatoes and oregano? Well, we'll we'll get there in one second. I just wanted to ask you one other thing, Andrew. Just from from your perspective, like what perspective are you coming from? Have you had contact with the industry? Have you? Oh yeah, you're speaking my language. For the last twenty years, I've done almost nothing but involve myself with illegal cannabis grows in northern. Not I don't grow. I don't. Um, I'm not in uh, the way I was related to them as I used to, and no, but no longer do um, distribution. So I would mm-hmm. mail for them, mm-hmm. mail things out in the U.S. mail. Wow. And how did you worry about that? I mean, did legalization come as a relief to you or how how did you think about it? Um, My friends have been distributing illegal uh, cannabis since I was in high school and I'm in my 50s. So I'm used to it. The mm-hmm. whole thing of the person tied to the fence post and all this. And like I said earlier, people talking about Oklahoma, you know, it's all this is this is my language. So, mm. yeah, that's my to, life. To you, does it seem like it's gotten worse, scarier, more dangerous or has it is it kind of stayed the same or like how does it appear to you? Um, I'm not. Uh, worried that my friends are going to lose their children and stuff like that for mm-hmm. being, um, you know, arrested right. for growing or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's gotten better. Huh. Thank you, Andrew. I mean, that was absolutely fascinating. Thank you for sharing that uh, that perspective. I mean, Paige, we have to go to oh, the... But for them, it's gotten worse. I don't mean to talk over you. I'm so sorry. I just want to say because they're not getting the money. And they're used to being able to charge hideous amounts of money for very little amount of work. Right. Right. And that's the that's the trade off. Yeah. Andrea, hey, thank you again. Um, and we're get, we got to go to break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk to Paige St. John's, more investigative reporter with The Los Angeles Times about cannabis cultivation in the state. And fascinating call from Andrea in Sebastopol. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for more after the break. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Just wanted to let you know, it's actually Rachel Myro who's guest hosting the next hour, so stay tuned for that. 
Meanwhile, we're talking about why illegal cannabis cultivation has boomed in California with Paige St. John, investigative reporter with the Los Angeles Times. She's Pulitzer Prize winner. Congratulations. This was in uh, 2011 in Florida. Uh, we have a bunch of comments coming in around taxes and tax obstacles. Uh, Nathan writes, one of the major problems is the multiple tax levels small growers face. There's no incentive to go legal when it's cheaper to buy on the black market. Michelle writes, you can ignore the high state, city, county taxes that force growers to sell on the illegal market. And on the phones, we have Rob in San Francisco, who also wants to talk taxes. Welcome, Rob. Ah, Thank you. Yeah, that was my question. I've heard so much about, you know, when we voted to legalize marijuana here, it was supposed to uh, you know, not only get rid of all the illegal growing, but also be a tax boom for California. And I know that we are trying to use this as a moneymaker for the state. But when does it become so much that people turn to the old uh, illegal ways of getting it to get around all the extra taxes, all the regulations? Um, you know, when is when is taxing it just overdoing it and causing all this illegal growing to continue? Yeah. Great question, Rob uh, Page. Yes, absolutely. And and I think it underlies a, a, a lot of the misery because there was so much attention paid in the in the outset. The promise of Prop 64 was, was uh, even if you were agnostic about cannabis, you had to love the promise of how much money it was going to bring mm-hmm. in, right? And that, that a lot of communities were sold on that, that promise of, of reaping so much money in taxes off the backs of, of people. Well, we've now rolled off the, the cultivation tax, the state cultivation tax on growers. Um, but we have a piece just this morning in the LA Times, another part of this project by another reporter, Matt Ormses, that looks at the dispensaries in LA and and the inability of the legal dispensaries you know, to keep up with prices on when when they have such a huge tax burden and 10 or more dispensaries on the same street that are illegal, uh, the tax they pay, this is a street tax to, to gangs. Uh, it's not reported. Hmm. Uh, so it's not quite as simple as right. as uh, they are tax-free because they do have other costs and, and, and risks of doing business. But, but yes, uh, even law enforcement I spoke to, the sheriff in Mendocino County thinks, as he, as he delightfully calls it, that the state sought to cut a fat hog. Um, and got greedy with with taxes, and it's left him with an estimated 10,000 illegal uh, operations in his county alone, yeah. uh, and an enforcement task force of 1.5. So it's yeah, he, you know, universally, uh, I've heard complaints about the cost of doing business if you want to go. And legal. there are some reforms coming to this, right? Like the cultivation tax is getting zeroed out for a few years, right? Isn't that what's happening? It it is. Um, however, none of these taxes will change the the largest balance of the equation, and that being uh, because the eighty percent, I think, is the estimate of the illicit cannabis in California is not grown for California. It's headed out of state. So, um, and that's driven by the higher prices that you can get on markets elsewhere, not just in other states, but elsewhere in the world. Yeah. And 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 when when you have a Milwaukee drug gang that specializes in cocaine and heroin decide that cannabis is more profitable, that selling vape cartridges to kids on the street is more profitable than than their hard drugs, uh you, you can see how much work has to be done. Mm. 
Let's bring in uh, Marie up in Humboldt. Welcome, Marie. Hey there. Hey, thanks, thanks for, for joining taking us. my call. Yeah, uh, just a comment about uh, East Coast folks coming to the West Coast, buying up Humboldt property, uh, establishing a grow. They come in only for the growing season. They use up, they dig wells deeper than the existing. The, they dig wells deeper than the current residents of the community. They take the water. They run their gen- generators 24-7. They come in just for the growing season and then leave. So they're not invested in the, the local uh, mm. community and the local residents suffer. Mm. You know, Marie, like from your perspective, I mean, you're in Humboldt. A lot of weed has been grown there for a long time. What did you expect right to ha- happen with legalization? Well, I know people who've gotten out of the business in Humboldt just because they weren't going to be able to make, they didn't think they were going to be able to make the money they used to. So I think the what's happened with the legalization has kind of been a surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't expect this to be happening. Didn't expect yeah. for the, you know, community properties to be bought up by out-of-state people who just come in and extract and cause uh, locals to suffer with lack of water and have to live through 24-hour generators nonstop Mm. from people who don't really care about the community. So I didn't expect that. Yeah. And, Maria, I mean, you know, we get to this really tricky thing, which we're going to talk with Paige about, too. It's what do you want to have happen, right? I mean, these are communities that did not want law enforcement around, by and large, for obvious reasons. What is the answer to this, you know, that that doesn't well, somehow the, lead back? Yeah. yeah, I don't know the answer, but I think, uh, you know, in Humboldt, you had people who were invested in their communities and their space, just like any other neighborhood. There were neighborhoods. Right. And I mean, you had you had people coming in, coming in as seasonal workers, but the growers were by and large. Um, well, maybe not by and large, but a lot of the growers were community based people. invested in their land and invested in their community and they were residents, you know, obviously there's always exceptions to that in the back country, but yeah, this kind of thing, this is a totally different growing and it's, and it's taking away from the whole community aspect of what Humboldt was. Yeah. Not only that, pulling, pulling cash out of the local ecosystem too, as local growers go out of business. Pulling cash, pulling water, water is the biggest issue now because the local residents, are suffering from lack of water while right. the grows are digging the wells deeper and, you know, siphoning right. off the water. So it's complicated. Yeah. Man, Marie, thank you so much for that perspective. I think that really brings it home for lots of people. Paige, can you talk to me about that, these issues, both the, the, the water issue, pulling, you know, just, just resources uh, out of these local communities and what, what could be done? I mean, are people trying to imagine uh, ways of keeping those properties and those places in the hands of local people? I don't know. That's not really being addressed head on. Uh, California water boards have taken the position that cannabis is a crop and therefore has basically as much right to water as avocados or hay. And the water agencies, um, have cut their staffing to uh, to deal with illicit cannabis, so they've not really been focused on on as a whole 
cannabis use of water. They have begun targeting individual watersheds where where, water is being diverted from creeks uh, and the low flow is endangering salmon fisheries and and hatcheries uh, and and targeting those individual grows. But they're spread so thinly that uh, an internal documents that I got show that the water agency is told its staff uh, to look at a single watershed for each reason, region every year. So mm. 90%, uh, um, they'll just ignore, and they'll just focus on one watershed, try to concentrate their resources w- mm. where they can. But, but yeah, water is um, remains an issue, but nobody has really come up with a solution on, on how to address how much water is being used uh, and um, how much of it's diverted to illicit cannabis and how much is being used uh, by even the legal industry, uh, you know, whether how much it goes into play into permitting legal growth. Yeah. Let's bring in uh, Phil in Burlingame, who I think has a question that may be on the minds of some of our listeners. Welcome, Phil. Hi. Um, you know, so weed was legalized. There were two runs on it because of all the Mexican growers uh, and the cartels coming up and growing in the hills. A mayor got killed. And, you know, that pushed the counties over. And, you know, it sounds like these illegal grows are primarily for export out of California to other states because yep. it's an unregulated state. And the question then is, is why are we talking about local rural sheriffs? You know, why isn't the FBA and the feds who still categorize it as a class five, you know, drug? Yeah, you know, I don't really understand that. And the secondary question is, even within the state, why doesn't some of the um, taxes on, on the pot go to enforcement to protect the legal growers. Mm-hmm. So the feds and the local regulatory uh, funding. Yep. Uh, Phil, great, uh, great questions. Let's go uh, state first page, and then let's talk about the feds. Yeah, these are uh, the answers are very political. Uh, the state Prop 64 baked into the ballot initiative was a prohibition of giving cannabis enforcement money to communities and counties that did not commercialize cannabis. Uh, that's half the state. And, and, and so you've got counties like Siskiyou that don't get state money to fight cannabis. Uh, they have to turn to the DEA for funds, which brings us to, to and, 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 and statewide, generally, cannabis is like the third rail politically. Uh, lawmakers don't want, and, and haven't for decades, wanted to address you know, cannabis head on. Uh, and, and deal with the political issues that surround uh, cannabis policy. Uh, the feds, uh, therefore, have had a hands-off approach to states that have legal markets. Um, they won't intervene in, and intercede unless they see something major going awry. Uh, federal prosecutors tell me they can't get the green light to do a lot of cannabis investigation. Even federal judges, I have one that I quote in the story, says, you know, why should he go heavy on a sentence of a guy who had a, a network of illegal grow houses when cannabis is everywhere, you know, and you can just get a license? So there still tends to be this belief that, oh, it's just cannabis. Must not be a problem. That's so interesting. Um, I want to get to uh, a few comments. Um, many people um, feel quite negatively about how the state has done this. 
Uh, Kim writes, we had an already established illegal trade for cannabis in California, and few predicted it would overwhelm legal growers. Shame on all the people in the legislature that caved to the political pressure from our addicted society. It only added to the lawlessness and destruction of natural resources in our state. From my perspective, taking care of the pediatric and young adult population, it has been devastating. Amy writes, the reason there are so many illegal grows in California is simple. California is bureaucratic and greedy. What did they expect to happen when they put such a ridiculous tax on cannabis and made the process too bloated, expensive, uh, bloated, excessive, and time-consuming for most people to comply? It basically bred a gray market pipeline. Chris tweets, Glad you're having a reputable journalist to cover this important issue. Cities and counties need to look at legal cannabis less like an ATM, and the state should allow small farms to sell directly to consumers, because that's what they're doing now. Further keep in mind that the state didn't really cut taxes. They cut the cultivation tax and then switched where on the supply chain they would collect excise taxes. They switched to retail, that is to say. It's revenue neutral. Um, I, you know, the problem for me, Paige, as I was thinking about this, it's like we can imagine a whole bunch of changes that the state of California could make. But given that this seems to be a problem that really exists between the patchwork of regulations in these United States, how would we actually go about getting rid of illegal grows as long as, you know, marijuana is going to be $5,000 a pound somewhere else and, you know, $500 a pound here? Yeah, well, right. Dealing, recognizing, first of all, that it's one market, that it's not a illicit market and a legal market. There, It's so porous. I, I found uh, legal growers, you know, selling out the back door. I found illegal growers sending their stuff to licensed distributors and, and dispensaries. So it, it's really just one market. And, and really, I think as a journalist looking at this, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking, how can the state even pretend to come up with solutions when it ignores the problem and, and turns a blind eye to what it's actually dealing with. I mean, Prop 64 and the regulations that came out uh, didn't address the fact that they were attempting to legalize an enormous, highly successful, very profitable, and deeply entrenched illegal industry. Um, that's a big difference between what happened with um, alcohol and prohibition you know, before and and cannabis now you can't um say oh we're going to create a legal market and just turn a blind eye to the big you know 900 pound gorilla sitting in the corner when you look at other states has anybody been able to make this transition successfully i think it's like what 19 states or so have have legalized in, mm, in some form there's an yeah there's an argument that colorado is doing pretty good but i haven't looked beneath the surface I find rhetoric in cannabis is very thick. <laughs> getting getting to the ground truth is pretty hard. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, Washington and Oregon and Oklahoma. I mean, Oregon is, is declared. Many counties have declared states of emergency. They have a moratorium, on, and 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 they say they've they've been um, overrun. Uh, Oklahoma's attorney general is starting to look at the second layer. You know, the the law firms that are helping set up. Um, shell companies basically to and and straw owners of land to to set up illegal large illegal operations but um if you if you would hold out Colorado as a success story, then you have to note that it's taken ten years to get there, so it's not something that can happen quickly. 
and Nicole Elliott, our cannabis czar here in California, told me she's that it would take many more years for California's market to like stabilize. The big question though is what happens in between? I mean, I have workers who are dying of carbon monoxide poisoning. I have laborers who've been stolen wages, horrendous living conditions, small growers going out of business um, and communities where they talk about lack of water and and degradation of natural resources. Mm. So, so, you know, what lies in between? Yeah. You know, we got another listener with a fascinating comment. Matt writes, I spent a year helping to run an illegal pot farm in southern Humboldt County. I'd have been involved with pot since high school, just what, quite a while. I thought I had a pretty good idea of what to expect, and boy, was I wrong. It is a mind-blowing subculture that is absolutely governed by greed. The environmental degradation is shocking and heartbreaking, All of our neighbors were Russian mafia. They were poor immigrants who were working for the organized crime syndicates. I left Humboldt shocked and sickened by what I saw. You know, uh, Paige, you've got this series coming up. What's the next thing that you're going to be focusing on, kind of drilling down within the series? Well, I've kind of tipped my hand on that already. I think labor, uh, there's a hidden victim class in this Mm. uh, saga, um, that uh, I, I think needs to be seen uh, and, and addressed, and yeah, the workers and your the the Matt that you just read that that note from is exactly the kind of story I'm hearing a lot of those, mm. and um, and and during police raids, those workers typically were viewed as suspects; they were the bad guys, and and they're nothing but people who are trying to make a wage. Uh, often immigrants in this country. Hmm. We've been talking about why legal cannabis cultivation has boomed in California, despite the fact that we have a legal market here that was established uh, by Prop 64 in 2016. We have been joined by Paige St. John, Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative reporter with the Los Angeles Times and author of the recent article, The Reality of Legal Weed in California, Huge Legal Grows, Violence, Worker Exploitation, and deaths. Thanks so much for joining us this hour, Paige. It's been awesome. Yeah. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Thank you all for your calls and comments, sharing these experiences. I, I, totally fascinating hour. Thank you so much. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with guest host Rachel Myro. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure... The smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. 
Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.